you've got to be in the middle of your business, right? You've got to know what's going on, understand sort of what's working, what's not working. You sense what's cohesive and you sense what's not. And then you make decisions where that is going to remove the inconsistencies or build cohesiveness. Welcome to the Surface and Panel podcast, your digital symposium. On today's episode, we have a conversation with John Wanger and Patrick Adams. Welcome to another uh, episode of Surface and Panel Symposium Podcast, and we couldn't be more excited to have a leader in the industry joining us today, Mr. John Wenger, President and CEO of Genesis Products. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thank you, Patrick. Really excited to be here. Yeah, no doubt. So, uh, so, so, how are things on uh, on your side of the COVID fence? Um, you know, right now we're we're fortunate, and things are are pretty busy. You know, it's uh, um, obviously there's been shifts in the various uh, industries around the country, and um, seems like a lot of the industries that we're working with are, are doing pretty well right now. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're we're seeing the same thing. It's it's pretty amazing that you know when you watch the news, it, it would have you believe that the world's ending and literally the whole world, and uh, and and yet uh, here we are in the building materials industry, and uh, we we seem to be humming along. So uh, knock on wood, yes, uh, yeah, that uh, that continues. But I noticed there's there's no uh, colorful living room backdrops or kids running around in your background. So uh, <laughs> you're you're at the office. Yes, you know we. Um yeah, we essentially were mostly remote um, at home, you know, from what, middle of March, obviously, till really June 1st. Really, the first week of June, we pretty much came back to the offices um, and have been full office, full manufacturing since the first week of June. And really, too, a lot of our, you know, a lot of the industries we service were essential industries. A lot of the, our kitchen cabinet accounts, you know, did not shut down. Uh, we have some uh, a plant that does a lot for you know Caterpillar, John Deere. You know some of the construction ag industry did not shut down. Um, so probably three of our eight nine facilities were working throughout. Um, obviously, we needed office support for you know for some of that. Right. Uh, you know a, a big industry for us is the RV industry. They were shut down for six weeks and then came back in June. And uh, so yeah, really outside of you know certain precautions distancing you know mask you know cleaning all those things it's a uh, pretty business as as usual usual around here yeah yeah i love it yeah we're we we also uh kind of fall into that same category we're considered essential as well and uh we uh you know probably like you you know in investing quite a bit of technology and infrastructure and never really put it to the test so yeah. Uh, we we took about two months and uh, kind of remote based everybody, and uh, it was an interesting experiment. You know, I, I have to say, in a lot of ways, I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah. At, uh, you know, and, and granted, you know, everything was closed, so I, I I put the asterisk on that experiment, saying they really had nothing else to do but work, because it's not like you can run out to the movies. Right. But um, yeah, it, it, it went surprisingly well, but every, everybody unanimous, unanimously voted to come back to the office. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> I always say we're, we're a manufacturing company. Until you can manufacture from home, everyone needs to be here. <laughs> yeah, 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 no doubt. So, um, you know, I, I mean, for those uh, in the industry that have been living under a rock, you know, uh, you know, walk us through generally, you know, what, what Genesis does and, and how you do it and, and why you're the best. 
Yeah, you know, generally speaking, we're a, you know, interior component supplier mostly focused on, you know, um, sort of panels and moldings are the core of our, our product lines. Um, you know, over the years, we've certainly expanded our, our toolbox of, of materials and products out, outside of that. Um, but, you know, we, we founded the business on panel products, you know, doing lamination, um, putting film on, on wood, right? Um, and since then, we've gotten better and better at making things out of, you know, panels, assemblies, cabinets, you know, doors, cabinet doors, you know, a lot of those types of components. So, you know, historically, we've been a little bit more, um, you know, laminate, you know, interior, you know, wood product focused. Um, lately, we've started working with a lot of new materials as well. We're doing a lot with non-woven um, polyfiber products in our wall form division where we're getting into other sort of interior um, components. We're doing, you know, ceiling tiles, office furniture, um, privacy screens, you know, other sort of molded, um, you know, interior trim for automotive industries. But end of the day, we're, we're a supplier, right? We're supplying other manufacturers. Um, a lot of that happens to be, you know, cabinet and furniture related, whether it's cabinets and furniture in an RV or cabinets and furniture in a home and office. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and certainly we've then gotten a little bit more uh, moved with the interior trim, gotten into a little bit more sort of um, sort of not tier one automotive, but secondary automotive markets as well. But, you know, we're, we we source around the world. Um, so we're just working with, with mills, whether it's, you know, laminate mills, you know, panel mills, um, you know, or other raw material mills from around the world. We're great at sourcing, importing logistics and then have, you know, pretty extensive domestic manufacturing capabilities to be able to take all those materials, convert them, you know, work with our end users um, to specify programs, really develop supply chains, develop the, you know, components they need that are custom to them for their production, um, and then provide just in time, you know, products for for them to keep producing, right? So, end of the day, it's really that, that combination of material expertise, you know, sourcing logistics you know you know large-scale domestic manufacturing to really set up good programs and supply chains for you know domestic manufacturers yeah yeah that's amazing i i mean you know in in doing background and you know kind of learning more about your company i mean it's uh it's an amazing success story it's an amazing growth story but you know i'm I'm always fascinated more in in the leadership side of things and the decision side of things because, you know, coming from several past lives where that really makes, you know, the difference, sometimes life or death, um, you know, it makes all the difference. And it seems like you have an amazing culture and you have an amazing ability to make really smart growth decisions. So, you know, as, as we're in COVID times and, you know, I think leadership is exceptionally important through uncertain chaotic times like now, but then especially during, you know, big growth cycles, like our industry's experiencing, how do you make, how do you make your decisions? You know, so for example, you, you mentioned, you know, um, you know, outsourcing and importing and, you know, partner manufacturing facilities, but in the same breath, you know, very robust domestic, you know, internal manufacturing capabilities. So how do you how do you make some of those decisions about, you know, do we outsource? Do we do it ourselves? Do we do a combination of that? You know, and and you know, where do you where do you kind of draw that line in terms of, 
what should we do versus what should we let other people who are already experts do it? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's a good good question. And, you know, I don't know if there's an exact formula that, that we use. I mean, end of the day, when it comes to sort of, I guess, my leadership style or our company, you know, I mean, leadership style, it's, I, I try to be, I mean, for one, you've got to be in the middle of your business, right? You've got to know what's going on, understand the dynamics, understand sort of what's working, what's not working. So oftenly I would say I'm a relatively intuitive leader where it's sort of you can, you sense, you sense what's cohesive and you sense what's not, right? And then you make decisions where that is going to sort of remove the inconsistencies or build cohesiveness, right? And so I think ultimately for me, it's, it's what what's working what's not working right if it's working you do more of it if it's not working and you stop it and do something else so you know maybe you know so in some ways it's you kind of maybe there is this not quite trial and error but you kind of you test things that works you do more of it if you test something and it doesn't work you you don't do that right so i think it's it's more if you're in the middle of your business and you're intuitive about it you can really make a, a lot of small decisions you know, and that gives you the ability to sort of, um, you know, sort of ebb and flow the business in the right directions, I would say. Um, you know, at the same time, you know, we're 18 years old now. Um, and so, you know, that's probably a little bit more of the entrepreneurial approach. And we are getting a little bit bigger where decisions are a little bit more or have a little bit more significant impact. Investments are, are bigger, um, you know, sort of some of the supplier or customer relationships might have bigger scale so it is you can't quite trial and error everything then at that point right so certainly then it's just really about you know choosing good partners choosing good people you know i've always said we want to win by by doing what's right right you know we're just making decision does this feel right is it right is it positive is it you know letting us go where we want to go. So I think it's having a good filter. Um, but, it, but it doesn't sound like you're afraid of making a mistake here and there. No, not a, we've, we've made plenty of mistakes. For sure. <laughs> obviously, we've made enough good ones. That the, the, obviously, we've made more good ones than bad ones. Um, but we certainly have made plenty, plenty of mistakes. A lot of products that didn't necessarily work out, you know, whether it's people that didn't work out, investments, you know, equipment that wasn't the right choices. I mean, there's always... Yeah, a lot, a lot of decisions that weren't necessarily always the right ones. But yes, you, you got to avoid making things that are going to kill you, right? You've got to make, you got to know what are the, what are consequential that it's got to be right, you know. And that, that's where you put more time, you know, take some baby steps or some small steps towards yeah. that before you make those decisions that are really going to, that could make or break you, right? Sure, but but you've made some pretty big decisions. I mean, you've you've opened, you know, a couple new plants. In, yep. uh, in a pretty short period of time, right? Yeah, so, <clears throat> yeah, we've added two facilities. It's really kind of one, one our sort of large, you know, complex, but two facilities, you know, one opened up um, January 2018, last one opened up August 2019. Um, you know, there it's, you know, and I think even in the talking points it said, you know, what, what was that like? Frankly, it was, it was so painful not having space that the process of building space and moving into it was really nice, right? So, and fortunately, we have a really great 
um, you know, VP of engineering and team that really was an operations team that was really able to lead that, that, those processes. But we were using offsite warehousing. It felt like we were playing a t- equipment Tetris within our facilities where, you know, the same piece of equipment we were moving three or four times just because we kept having to try to fit more in. Right. Right. And you just get to a point where you realize that not having the square footage you need to manage your business is just so painful and so costly that, you know, the cost of facility versus not managing the rest of your business well is just, you know, it's it's a pretty easy decision. So certainly big decisions. Fortunately, we had kind of had a lot of pent up space, you know, requirements um, before we built those. So it's sort of a lot of it was overdue square footage and we consolidated some stuff in and then kind of everything else just sort of got right sized right. and really kind of and really these facilities allow us to really right size ourselves and now we've got to make sure that we stay ahead because again you get behind it's just very painful so, yeah yeah but you were building both of those you know there, there was an overlap there no doubt so so at some point yes. you were building both of them simultaneously yeah we essentially finished the one while we were kind of finished moving into one while we were essentially starting the planning, you know, finalizing the planning on the other one. Yeah. So, and yeah, did, did, you know, so, so tell me about, you know, the, the people component of that. Cause you know, you and I both know as leaders, we're only as good as our teams and we can come up with winning ideas all day long. And if the team can't execute, um, you know, we're the ones that look bad. So, you know, it turns out you look really good. Um, you know, we can either say you're a genius or, or you just have a fantastic team. Right. Uh, uh, definitely have a great team. Uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, we've done a, we'd, it's probably what I spend the most time on is people. Um, and yeah, it's just really team development, people development, getting the right people in the right spots, right? Creating that organization and, it's just a, it's constant work and constant maintenance, right? And then you just have to put lots of of time into it. And I always just tell our managers that you can't delegate people, right? You can't delegate leadership to you know uh, to others in the organization. You have to personally be involved in making sure that our organization is completely cohesive, that we're attracting talent, that we're retaining talent, that we're you know developing people. Um, you know, and that's, yeah, so certainly having a, a culture where people can be successful, um, culture where people can achieve their goals, you know, that's sort of what always we commit when we hire people is that whatever your potential is, you're going to be able to achieve it here. You know, we don't um, commit that they'll be able to achieve whatever they want, but we say whatever your potential is, if you if you can grow, you're going to be able to grow here, right? So it's, it's letting them do that, letting them you know, take opportunities, let them make things happen. Um, and certainly our teams executed well in our expansion and they're, you know, doing a great job right now. But yeah. it's just constant refinement, what's working, what's not working and not being afraid to deal with the things that aren't in sync. You just have to, you know, I always say deal, deal with it when it's a small problem, not a big problem. And so you just have to be in tuned enough to know where the small problems are and address them quickly. Right, so. right. No, that's great advice. Um, you know, so so you you work across you know several different you know markets and industries. What what are you seeing out there in terms of market trends? I, and and specifically, 
you know, as it relates to what the world's been dealing with since February, because I think, you know, it, it they, they say that it takes six weeks to create a new habit. And, uh, you know, we've been dealing with wearing masks and, and a bunch of, you know, new things, you know, for, for over six months now. So, you know, do you think that this is going to cause a shift in in trends and, and the way business is done? And, and you know, like, for example, um, you know, you mentioned RVs and, and, you know, while the RV industry kind of did shut down for a short period of time, there, you know, demand is exploding for RVs right now. And, you know, time will prove whether that's a temporary thing or whether that's a, a shift of culture that, you know, we're going back to the 60s of, you know, being a camping nation. Right. Um, but then on the flip side, you know, you've got the office space and, and commercial space where we've had a six month experiment of letting everybody work from home and, and you know, some very major employers domestically are, are kind of pushing off ever kind of returning from the office and buying themselves out of very large scale leases, right. um, you know, because they, they you know, I, I guess see the future as, okay, we can we can be just as productive working from home. So if that's the case, you know, there's there's a lot of panel products that go into equipping, you know, millions of square feet of office space. You know, how how do you manage those two dynamics and, and what kind of trends do you think will flush out of this? Yeah, the office space one's certainly interesting and, and you know, that's a market that we, we work in for sure. It's a little bit of a newer market for us from some of the, the non woven polyester products, but I don't know. I mean I'm I'm kind of a believer in the office space that but I understand why it's not fully needed. I just I think people want to be in a social space when they're they're working. I don't know. I mean I yeah, so we'll we'll see. Um, you know, I think that one's gotta play itself out. I think there's still gonna be offices, um, you know, and whether they're as many as there used to be, we'll see. Um, you know, and I think I guess for us, I think within the office space, obviously, you know, having more private space and having, you know, I mean, a little bit more distant space and is going to be key. And that's where, you know, screens have been a big deal for us, making sure that there is, you know, the options to have barriers, you know, between workspaces and a little bit more, you know, sort of less being on top of each other. Right. So that that within offices, that's a trend that we're definitely focused on. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I guess. We'll see how it plays out. My guess is that they'll, you know, obviously there's a reaction now, but it's hard to, like, when you're onboarding new people and you're hiring employees and, and training and getting sort of trying to develop your culture, and I don't know how to, it just feels like that dynamic is going to be totally different when you're working from home. And so when you, whenever, when 90% of or 100% of your team was at the office and then you go remote, it works great because everyone knows each other and everyone's training. Right. But like when five years from now, when, you know, when that, when you have all, a lot of new people and, it, it's and they've like, never met each other face to face. Yeah. I just yeah. think, say, oh, wow, we need to get people back together again and we need better training and, you know, we need them to interact. So I, I don't know, you know, we'll, we'll see. I, no, yeah. I think it's, I think it's a wise point that, you know, we're, I think we're we're keen, or a lot of people have the propensity to uh, to be quick to react to things, right? They see this move, so that equals this extreme, right. and and you know maybe it's just a fad, and you know maybe we are, you know I I'll tell you even I, we were 
I was very, very surprised. Like I said, we we had a little two month experiment, and you know, over half of our team is uh, is millennial, and and we were working really well remotely. I mean, you know, communication was great, collaboration was great, productivity was through the roof, and uh, you know, so I had you know kind of this this thought maybe it was a hope, um, you know, that, that we could eliminate a ton of overhead by just getting rid of the office and, and, you know, everybody could work remote. And so I, I made the mistake of putting it out to a very public vote and, uh, 100% voted to come back to the office as quickly as possible, including all the millennials. Yeah. And, uh, I, 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 I couldn't believe it. I, I, I was very surprised, but, um, I think we're social creatures. So I think you're right. You know, it's it's good to, but even for us we've had a few people that either weren't quite for them it wasn't you know they weren't quite ready to come back you know so so it did it did make us realize that hey it is okay for someone to work remotely you know and even we've had a few people that you know I mean had opportunities with their families and needed to relocate and normally it wouldn't have worked out for them to stay you know employed and keep and stay working for us you know, now we've let them move and stay, you know, stay within the, on the team. And that's actually worked out well. So we're definitely more open-minded to those dynamics than what we had been. And it's actually created opportunities to, you know, retain some people that might've been, you know, that might've left the company because of, you know, just other circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly RVs. Yeah. A big trend, you know, I mean, all the money that was going into air travel and, you know, hotels and, um, you know, going out of the country is now staying with people, you know, touring the country and, and going camping. So that's, yeah, so we think that's the trend. So that what's can, your forecast? You, you, should I should I sell my RV now while demand's super high and supply short? Or do you think the resale market 18 months from now is going to be flooded <laughs> with a million used RVs? I, I think if you like RVing, you should keep your RV. <laughs> <laughs> it's, not, it's not about the money, Patrick. It's really about the lifestyle or not. It so. is all about the lifestyle, no <laughs> doubt. My, uh, I'll, I'll tell you, in uh, in March, my wife, uh, I think she was having a, a, a mental breakdown because she said, uh, you know, I had this thought, you know, the housing market, we're in Southern California, God help us. And uh the uh, the housing market is ridiculously strong right now because nobody's selling their houses. Right. And uh, she said, "What do you think if we sell the house while it's high, and we buy an RV since the kids are being you know essentially homeschooled on computers anyway, right. and we just travel the nation for a year?" Yeah. You know, on on paper that sounds like an amazing idea, but just remember that's 365 days of. <laughs> Of being on the road with a nine-year-old and a three-year-old homeschooling them on a computer. So, you know, I'll be driving. So you you let me know what you think about that. And and it only took a couple nights before she said, Yeah, I think we should probably stay where we're at and just camp on the weekends every once in a while. Well, we we've got a nine-year-old and a five-year-old, and I'm pretty sure that uh, we would not sign up for that. So <laughs> it, it's one of those things. Like on paper, it sounds really great, but you know, when you really start thinking about the details, we. Uh, we also just went on a, it, it, again, my wife's idea, but she'd never been on a, on a true road trip. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we, the, the one good thing about California is you can see a lot of really different stuff within a road trip. Right. So uh, we packed up the kids uh, in, in the truck without the RV 
and went on a uh, seven-day, 2,000-mile road trip through California wow. with with a nine-year-old and a three-year-old. And, and, and she, I, I, I kept looking back because she put she reserved the space on my calendar as family vacation. And I kept reflecting back on that word vacation, saying, <laughs> well, I always build a mental picture of what vacation is. And this isn't feeling like it, but, you know, the good thing is, I, I think it's universal that everybody has a road trip story from childhood yep. that they tell as an adult, right? Absolutely. And now my kids are going to have one too. <laughs> Did you have any trouble finding campsites? Well, we didn't camp. We we stayed in hotels this time because okay. we covered so much ground over seven days. All right, so um, so, so we have been having a ton of trouble finding campsites. So it it baffles me that all these people are buying RVs because I'm wondering like where where are you going? Right. Because we can't find a campground anywhere. Yeah, it's a, it's one of the big challenges really making sure that campgrounds and you know facilities are keeping up with the demand. Right. It's not just about having the RV. It's about having places. And, well, and and you know I, I'm sure in other parts of the nation this is less of a problem, but uh, out here, find a place to store that RV. Good right. luck. That I mean, there there is nowhere to to even park them unless you already had a spot. So, yeah, it's it's a bunch of interesting uh, interesting COVID related challenges. Right. What are you excited about looking forward? Products, people, things, markets. Just not having to wear a face mask. You know, uh, kind of all of the above, right? We're always product leadership is a big deal for us, so we always get excited about product. You know. Um, and we're in the middle of a lot of things, so we get to go out and explore the world for new materials and new products and figure out how they can apply to the markets that, that we service, you know, and then come up with solutions to, you know, work with our, our manufacturing, you know, customers. But so no product, you know, we are excited about, you know, providing more and more sort of domestic, you know, manufacturing support. Um, again, there's always going to be, you know, in outsourcing to Asia and other countries at the same time, you know, I think people are more and more open to having, you know, domestic manufacturing, you know, outsourced suppliers. So we're, we're excited about that. We think that we're well positioned to help people focus. So I guess how I always pitch it or, or try to think about it is that, you know, we, we work with so many different industries and so many different manufacturers that you realize that they're, their value proposition, you know, a kitchen cabinet company, an office furniture company, you know, whatever it is, their value pro proposition is, is their brand, their product, their design, mm -hmm. you know, their, their sales change, their service, their logistics. That's their value proposition as a company. Their manufacturing is, is really a, a best practice. You know, how you, how you run a saw or assemble or, you know, whatever it is, that's a best practice. It is not a, their value proposition. And I think a lot of the current furniture cabinet companies, whatever it is, they, they started with, they started their companies because they're manufacturers. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm sure whether it's, you know, steel case or, you know, or master brands or whatever, there's probably a story where, you know, basically a guy like making things. And so he started making a cabinet and then all of a sudden, you know, he's Here a cabinet Right. So I think most of these companies were founded with manufacturing, but now that's not their value proposition anymore. Their value proposition is their, you know, engineering, sales, marketing, service, logistics, and manufacturing is the best practice. 
And that's where we're saying, hey, let us put your time and money and your investment, you know, where you can differentiate yourself. Your manufacturing is not going to differentiate you from your competitors, you know, and let us do that, right? Because when you get a, a price from us, you don't worry. It's a fixed price at a fixed quality and it is off your radar. You know, mm-hmm. obviously you have to make sure that we're, you know, you have to sort of receive and inspect parts and whatnot. But again, focus on your differentiation. And as an OEM, your differentiation is not your manufacturing. Right. So, and I think, so for us, that's what, and also too, even from an economic model, if we are touching, you know, 10 different industries. So if we go out and invest in a SOL or a CNC or edge bander, you know, if one industry slows, it is easier for us to repurpose that investment to mm. other industries that are doing well. Right. And if you're a, you know, if you're a furniture company, you can't go sudden and just start making, you know, kitchen cabinets because right. you don't have the the product design. You know, I mean, you can, they cannot shift that investment to a different industry right. as quickly as we can. So even from an economic model, we are it's, it's safer for us to invest and you know infrastructure than it is for you know oems and really their manufacturing is not their value proposition and so they're investing and spending so much time on managing manufacturing and that's not even a differentiator right so makes makes a lot of sense and that's where we're saying hey let us be a partner you know um let us obviously we're not also you know we're not necessarily trying to replace your manufacturing but maybe let us be a piece of that right let us be whether it's don't work weekends, don't work overtime, maybe not buy that, you know, maybe not open up that second facility, you know, let us handle some of that, you know, to create a little bit more flexibility and let you to focus more on your differentiation. Right. Um, You know, so yeah, that is an exciting story for us. And we see, you know, it's not obviously where all of a sudden people are, you know, getting rid of their manufacturing or not outsourcing to, you know, other countries. But yeah, it's a you know when you find the right fit and you find the right customers that are looking for that, it's it, it works really well and it's something that we are excited about. I love it. I so love what it. People we're most excited about. Generally, people we're always most excited about. Uh, we love building our teams. We love working with our teams. Um, anytime we get new talent on the team, it just everyone gets excited. Uh, yeah. We have fun here, and um, yeah. So we always say our thing is product driven, people powered. So yeah, we love excited about product. We're excited about people, um, and really, we're yeah, we're excited about the industries we're in because they're all they're all have a lot of upside potential in them. Sounds like there's a lot of excitement over there, man. <laughs> there is. <laughs> it's, good, it's a good day. So, I like it. Well, listen, we uh, we we close every podcast with uh, with two questions. You know, one is uh, you know what what do you love most about this industry? And uh, and what's your message to the whole industry? The whole world's going to be watching this, John. So uh, so so, what's your message to them? And and and, but first, what what keeps you here? What what do you love most about this industry? Um, you know, I like um, I like you the, do you do love this industry, I right? I do John? love this industry. It's a good <laughs> okay. question. Well, you, there's so many things, but um, you know, I always tell people, you know. Wood products is, is a great entry, right? It's super internet. It's really international. You know, um, it's you know you're you're sourcing materials from all around the world, and I think that makes it a really fun dynamic. You know, um, wood isn't sort of this like perfect recipe, right? Every tree has different characteristics. 
you know, with different functions and different price points coming from different countries. So, you know, I always find that aspect of it really, really interesting and fun. Um, I love the aesthetic nature where you're working with, with design and look and function. So sort of that, you know, the creating that, that design aesthetics and function is always a really, you know, um, fun part for us that I love. So again, you're, I don't know why well, our sort of the, the way, not to sort of drag this answer out, but you know, when we, when we look at sort of how to describe what we do as a company, it's, it's a little bit tough, right? Cause it's all, we do this, 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 and this, but really what we've come to say is that, you know, we are elevating environments, right? Whether it's where you work, whether it's at your home or where you play, you know, that's what we're doing. We're elevating environments. We're making your, your, your kitchen, your bath, you know, your office, your, you know, your RV, we're making those spaces better. And ultimately that's what we love doing. And yes, that's what I love about this industry. Awesome. All right. So, so, so what's your, what's your message to the world? Um, <laughs> I don't know, but what I've been saying a lot this week, <laughs> to our, our teams are a little stressed out right now because we're, we're pretty busy. Um, and everyone's a little bit behind and, you know, anytime you're behind your, your customers rightfully, you know, get a little, a little demanding for, for everything and, you know, just say, Hey, good news, good news is, you know, no, no one's dying every day ends. companies are doing well. You know, let's just make sure we're, we're having fun and, um, you know, fighting hard every day, but I'll making sure we're having fun. So that's what we're doing. I, I, I love it. As, as I like to remind people, these are first world problems. Exactly. Yeah. I love it. Well, listen, uh, John Wenger, President and CEO of Genesis Products. I had a blast talking to you. Right, same uh, best of luck to you and I look forward to when our paths cross in person. Thanks for listening. This podcast was created by Surface and Panel, uniting materials, technology, and design. See you again soon.